Take your Bibles and turn back to the chapter 2 of the book of Acts. We're going to look at the second part of Peter's message on uh, the day of Pentecost, the first message that was preached to the church. We'll begin in verse 25 and uh, go down through verse 36. Would you stand with us out of reverence to the Word of God if you're able to do so? Acts chapter 2 and verse 25 says, And David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore being exalted by the right hand of God, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, which he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. And here's his clincher for his sermon. Therefore, for all of these reasons, therefore, let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to be in your house tonight. Thank you for your love and your mercy that you have bestowed upon us. And we just come to submit ourselves into your hands tonight and ask you to take us and use us, Father, as you would see fit. We just pray that you would speak through us tonight to your people. And Lord, we pray that you'll be glorified and you'll be magnified in all that is said and done. And Father, we pray if there's one among us tonight who does not know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that this would be that wonderful time that they would surrender their heart and life to you and allow you to come into their life and be their Lord and Savior. And Father, we pray for the sick and the afflicted. We pray that you would touch their bodies and bring healing to them, dear Lord. That comfort the families, Lord, who have lost loved ones. And Father, may you be glorified and magnified in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. <clears throat> As I shared with you this morning, the first part of, of Peter's message here, and he, he talked about Joel's prophecy concerning Christ. He's referring to the Psalms tonight as he, he uh, quotes Scripture and uh, shares with us some things about the proofs of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus had been put to death. Jesus had been buried in a borrowed tomb. And Jesus arose from the dead. He had appeared to 
over 500 people at once in his uh, days that he was here on the earth before he ascended back to heaven. He'd appeared to all of his disciples. He, he appeared in many places. The Bible records all of these. But yet there were people who did not accept the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Lord. That, and the word Lord there, if I looked at it right, it's, uh, it's Adonai in, in the New Testament there in, in the Greek. He is both Lord and Christ or the Messiah. This was a, a sticking point with many of the Jewish people because that is saying that Jesus is God in the flesh. They struggled with that and we still struggle with it even to today. It's, it's hard for us to get it in our, in our mind that they're one person. But as he shares with them, he says, here in verse 25, and he talks about the prophecy of David in verses 25 through 28. And he talked first of all about Jesus' daily life there in 25 and 26. He says, David speaketh concerning him. And the words of David was, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Jesus' daily life. He lived his life in constant, the constant presence of his heavenly Father. Did you get that? I foresaw saw the Lord always before my face. He is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Now David, of course, is prophesying that, but it's about Jesus Christ. It's about him, and, and we have to recognize that, that he was the one that David was talking about. Sometimes it's hard to understand those scriptures, and we think the writer is talking about himself. But here he's referring to Jesus Christ, and, and uh, Peter will tell us that. He said, I saw, foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. And he talks about rejoicing and praising God in verse 26. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope. Now, two things that he mentions there concerning uh, Jesus and how he, his relationship with God the Father was. He rejoiced and, and praised God. He always lifted up God. He always praised God the Father. But it says he rested in hope and in trust. My flesh shall rest in hope. What does that mean? My flesh shall rest in hope. Well, I looked up the word rest. It's the same word that is translated tabernacle over in the Old Testament. And you remember, the tabernacle was the place that God said He would come and dwell with His people. And as studying the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, we have saw every piece in that tabernacle was pointing toward Christ. That every, every little uh, color and everything that's in it, it all pointed toward Jesus Christ. And here, uh, uh, the psalmist David is recognizing that and he's, he's talking about that he rested in hope. He rested and trusted in his heavenly Father. He tabernacled in him. He was there with God. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. 
All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Sometimes we forget that. But he says, my flesh shall rest in hope. Why? Because thou will not leave my soul in hell. Now the word hell here is the Greek word Hades. It's the place of the departed dead. Uh, uh, scripture tells us and uh, the commentators tells us that Hades had two compartments one for the righteous and one for the unrighteous that it's where the soul of man goes and it says here uh, therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad and over also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou will not leave my soul in hell when Jesus died. Remember what he said? Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up the ghost and he died. Over in the book of Ephesians, it talks about him going to that place. And it talks about it, I think, also in the book of First Peter. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around that. But it, notice what it says, Thou will not leave my soul in hell. He, Jesus knew that he would not be abandoned there. He knew that he was going to arise from the dead. He says, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Corruption has to do with the physical body. His body was placed in a borrowed tomb. His body you remember what happened? How the ladies went and they, they bought ointments. And uh, I think Nicodemus, he also went and bought 100 pounds of ointment. And, and his body was wrapped in all of these spices and the wrappings that they put around him. But what happened on Resurrection Day? What happened when John went running into that tomb to see that Jesus was gone? They found the grave clothes there. They even found the napkin that was about his face, but Jesus was gone. He had slipped out of that wrappings that they had placed him in there. He had come back to life. His body didn't decay. His body didn't see corruption. That's what corruption means, decay. But he appeared in an earthly body. When his disciples met with him, he said, touch me, handle me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me have. And they came and they handled him. He even invited Thomas to thrust his hand into his side. The scar was there, the open wound was there. But yet he arose in his body. But he talks about in verse 27 or 28 there, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Remember that this is Jesus. God had made known to him the paths of life. And Jesus said in some of his parting words on his, his last day before he was crucified, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. David saw this, and David understood this. Thou hast known to me the ways of life. 
Jesus knew all about life and living. He knew far more about it than we do, and he, he understood it. And Jesus himself identified with life. In him was life, and the life was the light of man, is what the Bible says about him. And here, again, David is making reference to that. Thou hast made known to me, or made known to Jesus, the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Now, of course, David, uh, he, he got joy out of meeting with the Lord, and he got joy out of talking with the Lord, but he's talking about Jesus here. And Jesus is saying, you make me full of joy with your countenance. The men and women, when they saw Jesus after he arose from the dead, we just talked about it last Sunday, how they were full of joy. They were filled with his presence. They'd seen him, and then the Holy Spirit came and filled them and brought all of that to their mind and brought all of it out to where they were enjoying the living Savior. Be hard to enjoy a dead Savior. Many people, they, they have a Savior that is not alive, but thank God for heirs that it is alive. Then Peter begins to share some personal testimony in verses 29 through 31. He says, men and brethren, remember he's speaking to a whole group of people, maybe a million people that have gathered there in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And this, uh, this film, feeling of the Holy Spirit had come upon those people in that upper room and it had spilled out into the streets to where a crowd had gathered. Multitudes of people. And Peter takes this opportunity to preach to them. And here he says, he addresses the crowd again. Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David. He's just quoted David here in all these verses that we've just went through. But he says, let me freely speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher or his tomb is with us unto this day. Perhaps he, he pointed from there in Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley to Mount Zion over there where all of the cemetery is. All the tombs, the tomb of David is there. I can just see him standing there and pointing and saying, let me call your attention to the fact that David's tomb is still right over there. We know where it's at. We know David hasn't risen from the dead. We know that David's body has saw corruption. We know these things. David is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, David was a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, out of David would come the Savior. You can trace Jesus' genealogy back, and it goes back through David. Out of his loins, will come a Savior. Lost my place. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath 
that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, out of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. That Christ, the Messiah, would come out of the lineage of David. You can go back and you can look at David's mom, Mary, or Jesus' mom, Mary. You can trace her lineage back through David. You can look at the lineage of Joseph, who was his stepfather. Remember, God is his father. It goes back through David. They're both out of the tribe of, of the lineage of David here. He said that he, God, would raise up Christ, the Messiah, to sit on his throne. He's talking about Jesus is raised from the dead in order to sit upon and to reign with God the Father. He talks about in the next verse, he was raised to deliver his soul from hell. Look here, he's seeing this, spake, he's seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul, Christ's soul, was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. He just repeated what I shared with you there a minute ago. Jesus was raised from the dead. People didn't like to hear that. As I shared with you this morning, he, he was in the most dangerous place that he could be preaching this particular message. Right there in Jerusalem, where his Lord and Savior had been put to death. And here he is, preaching that Jesus is risen from the dead. He's seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Now notice how he brings it down to this. This Jesus, this very same Jesus, this Jesus that you have crucified, this Jesus has God raised up. God resurrected him. He's giving witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice he's not by himself. He says this Jesus has God raised up whereof we all are witnesses. Not just the 11 or 12 apostles. But remember there's 120 people there gathered in that room who were witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he had met with them and he had talked with them and some of them had touched him, some of them had handled him. They'd ate with him. He'd been in some of their homes. They were convinced that Jesus is alive, that Jesus had arisen from the dead. And he says, this Jesus has God raised up whereof we all are witnesses. How many witnesses do you take to establish a truth? Two, isn't it? Two witnesses that agree. Here's 120 that agree. That's a pretty good witness, isn't it? That's pretty good proof that what they're saying is true. If you were watching a trial on TV and they brought in 120 witnesses against a certain person and they all said the same thing, 
you'd have to agree what they're saying is true. And here they are, here in the midst of all of this group of people. Some of them are angry mob. But yet they're boldly speaking for Jesus Christ. We are all witnesses. And he talks about in verse 33 then, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, this what? Which you now see and hear. You want to know what is all of this when people are speaking and everybody's hearing their, the gospel in their own language, but even though these men were all from Galilee, and they were speaking, and other, other tongues was going out, other languages was being heard from this. People from several different continents in the world was there. And they're hearing in their own language. I don't know if you've ever been in a foreign country or not, but you'll pick up a word or two here and there as you, you listen to what people are saying. But you don't learn the language overnight. It takes a long time to learn the language. But here these people were speaking and everybody was hearing the gospel in their own language. Somebody says it was a miracle of speech. I believe it was a bigger miracle of hearing. As they were speaking, people were hearing in their own language. This Jesus has God raised up whereof we're all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. God exalted His Son, Jesus. Raised Him up. God has exalted Him. He's now seated at the Father's right hand. And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, which He has shed forth, the Holy Spirit had come. The Holy Spirit had been made manifest. That's what brought all these people out there asking what's going on. Some of them said, were they drunk? But then the message this morning, Peter proved they wasn't drunk. They were filled with God's Spirit. And now Peter's explaining, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, that promise that God had been giving down through the centuries that David had prophesied about, that Joel had prophesied about. It's come. It's happened. It's here. He has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. Now he goes back to David in the next verse. For David is not ascended into the heavens. Now get that. David is not ascended into the heavens. He saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. You see, Jesus was exalted in the resurrection. David prophesied the Lord's exaltation. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit on my right hand. How long? 
until I make thy foes thy footstool. And David clenches his message in verse 36. This is what he's been leading up to. He had to get all this other stuff said before he makes this claim. He had to prove his case before he could bring down the verdict here. Therefore, for all of these reasons, all of these things I've just said to you, all these things that the Scripture has been saying, therefore, let all the house of Israel, let all the Jewish people, whatever nation you're from, whatever your background is, whatever your heritage, if you're a part of the nation of Israel, if you're an Israelite in some way, shape, form, or fashion, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. doesn't matter which tribe you're from. I want you to know something. That God, God the Father, Jehovah as they would speak it, God has made that same Jesus, that same Jesus who you crucified, that same Jesus whom you accused and, and had him beaten and, and all of those kind of things. And you watched him being nailed to the cross. You watched him die. You know he was buried. That same Jesus, not another one, but that same Jesus whom you have crucified. No doubt who Peter's laying the blame on. Whom you have crucified. But you know it reaches out beyond the Jewish people. And we, we need to be careful not to blame everything on the Jewish people. Because Christ died for the sins of the world. Jew and Gentile. It was my sins and your sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. But Peter wanted them to understand that this same Jesus, this man that they hated so much, this man that they gave undue diligence to getting rid of, that same Jesus whom you have crucified, now let's read it together. That God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Lord, that word means He's God, that He's ruler of all. Christ is translated Messiah in many places. He's God the Father. He's Jesus the Son. He's the Lord and Christ. God has done that. God has brought around about a miracle. God has done something that only God can do. God brought His Son into this world. He lived a sinless life. He was falsely accused. He was falsely tried. He was falsely convicted, but yet he was crucified, murdered, if you want to put it that way, on a cross. And he took my sins and your sins while he was on that cross. It was our sins 
that held him there. It was our sins that crucified him. But God took that same Jesus, raised him from the dead, and he's now Lord and Christ. We'll stop there for tonight. Is he your Lord? Is he your Christ? I'm glad to say that Jesus is my Lord. I'm glad to know that he's my Christ. He's my Messiah. I'm glad to know that it wasn't anything that I did except I just placed my faith and trust in him. He did all the saving. You don't have to be a criminal in order to break God's laws. Every time we tell a lie, we break his law. Every time we take something that's not ours, we break his law. We're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. But thank God, Jesus died to save sinners. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for what your son Jesus has done for us upon the cross of Calvary. Through his blood that was shed there to atone for our sins. I thank you that our sins have been taken away from us and nailed to that cross. Thank you that it's through his precious blood that we are redeemed, that we're purchased back, that you've made us a part of your family through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray tonight that if there's one in the, the sound of our voice in the midst here tonight in this church building that do not know you as their Lord and Savior, that this would be the night that they would come calling upon your name and surrendering their life to Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Father, we praise you. We adore you. We give you thanks, Lord, for the privilege just to be you among your people tonight. Have your way in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.